0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: But if you remember, as we began the year, we talked about our intimacy with the Lord, fuels our outreach for the Lord another way to say that is the deeper we grow in the Lord the wider we go for the Lord and you know it's true and I think you'll agree that a lot of people can either talk about sing about share about how intimate the Lord is and how important it is to be intimate with the Lord but yet they never tell others about Jesus Christ And so that causes me, at least for me, I can't speak for you, but it causes me to question the authenticity. Because we can say it and we can get caught up into the emotions. But to really own the intimacy with the Lord, it will come out in us really desiring other people to be intimate with the Lord and going through the door of salvation by faith alone in Christ. Now think about with me. In scripture it says that we're to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. That's intimacy with the Lord. And then the second commandment says, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's going wider for the Lord. So true loving of the Lord will bring a desire for others to know the one in whom we're most in love, which would be the Lord. And so as we've kind of gone through those phases here in our church, learning and owning that, we're now into the section that it's important for us to sense what does it mean now to go wide for the Lord and What does the Bible have to say about outreach? So for the next four, maybe five weeks, we are going to talk about, because we're intimate with the Lord, there's this desire that, man, everybody ought to know Him. We want them to know Him. Our family, our neighbors, our friends, the folks we go to school with. Now what I won't teach you is exactly how do you open a conversation? What do you say in the gospel message? And how do you actually bring it to a close? We've got great Bible teachers in this church and we often teach classes on that. So you call me and I'll tell you how to do that. But before we actually open up, how do you get into that? Some of us have to come to grips with how are we at letting the whole world know about Jesus Christ. Well, I want to look at just a portion of John chapter 17. Now more accurately, John 17 could be defined as the Lord's Prayer. Now, when you hear it, you think the Lord's Prayer is the passage in Matthew that says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that's used in a lot of religious places. And you know that. You've been there, done that. But actually, the disciples were saying, how should we pray? And the Lord says, this is how you pray. So it's the Lord's Prayer in the sense he owned it and he's teaching them to pray it. So it's really the disciples' prayer that the Lord taught. But the true biblical Lord's Prayer is found in John 17. Now, John 17's Lord's Prayer is very rich. It would do us well to go through this chapter phrase by phrase, not just verse by verse. But we're not going to do that. On the other hand, we are going to look at at least four Himalayan mountain peaks of truths regarding the Lord's Prayer. And I'm really going to single on just one so we could really plummet its depths and learn what God would have for us. I've asked four emerging leaders in our group to come up and to read these passages of Scripture out of John 17 to show you what might be called four spiritual priorities in John 17. And then I'm going to pick one of those that we'll spend our time on for the next four or five weeks. So if I could have the following men come up at this time, if I could have Cole Maz come up and Caleb Brown come up, Fernando, if, you, Fernando if you'll come up, Aaron Pantling, if you'll come up, join me up here because these men... These young men, these emerging leaders, are going to read what I call four spiritual priorities in John 17. Now let me quickly say that I don't want to limit John 17 to just four priorities. But I am picking four out so we can at least wrap our minds and our hearts around these four. And so the first one we're going to look at is the glory of God as one spiritual priority. So Cole, if you'll read verse 1 for us. Jesus spoke these words. Lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. Alright, let's think about that for just a moment. It's talking about, I want to be glorified, I want to glorify the Lord. That would be the intimacy that we ought to have with the Lord. So now you see God the Son, God the Father, all expressing the desire for glory to go to God. And so that's priority number one, is bringing glory to the Lord. And that comes through our intimacy with the Lord. All right, here's the second priority. If you'll read that, Caleb. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So God, through Christ, desires us to be pure. And how we're pure is by going into God's word and allowing God's word through knowing it and then applying it to our life through the power of the Holy Spirit to live out through us. And so we studied again the book of James and we learned about how important God's Word is in building our faith. Not working our way to heaven, but because we know we're going to heaven, what do we do to strengthen our life here on this earth before we get to heaven? And I would say this too, often before the unchurched community wants to hear about our God, they want to see the reality of our God's life lived out through us. And so again, it's purity. All right, here's the third spiritual priority in John 17. Would you read that for us, Aaron? As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who who will believe in me through their work. This is the section of John 17 that we're going to be focusing on for the next four weeks. It really talks about, yes, I have a relationship with the Lord, we want to be pure... But we also want to remember that there is a world who does not know Christ as their Savior. And so as the Father sent Christ into the world, then Christ is sending us into the world to communicate the message of salvation to that world. So the third great spiritual priority in John 17 is for us to be evangelizing, as it would be called, to those who don't know Christ. Which now brings us to our fourth particular spiritual priority. And Fernando, if you'll read that. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them, as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. The great spiritual truth found in this passage now is the unity of the church. Now, the good news is I'm sensing there is a degree of unity in our church. Now, we might like different colors and maybe a little different style of music from time to time. But on the basic things of life, loving one another, loving the Lord, living a separated life, reaching people for Christ, serving one another, being honest and decent and pure and holy with one another, we're all on the same page, we're also on the same paragraph, same sentence and the same word. But here's what's important with this passage. Fernando read a longer passage. Those of you that would like to take some time in your quiet time Settle down on this passage because what you're going to see in just those verses, 21 through 24, would be all of what we've already talked about in the three spiritual priorities before it. It talks about the intimacy we have with the Lord. In other words, the Father and Jesus are one. We need to be one with the Father. That's talking about intimacy. Positional truth, practical truth. We are that already in Christ, but now we need to live our closeness to the Lord. And then in the same passage, it also talks about God's people being pure and separated unto the Lord, living for Him in a very special way. And then it talks about reaching out to other people. And how they do that is the world looks upon Christians. And sometimes they have to look at Christians through the caricature of late night talk show people. They have to listen and look at Christians through politicians that would like to characterize Christians a certain way. But true Christianity is still truth and will rise above whatever caricature that the world would have us to be when we're in unity. Again, our intimacy with the Lord fuels our outreach for the Lord. As we go, grow deeper in the Lord, we will grow and go wider for the Lord. Thank you, gentlemen. You did a great job. I really appreciate you reading God's Word. All right. Over the next few weeks now, we're going to be studying not four spiritual priorities. I wanted you to see that in John 17. What we will learn, for those of you that are serious about getting into what God has to say about letting the whole world know, we're going to look at four teachings from this passage that Jesus now gives to us to strengthen us in our outreach. Some passages that are very, very important. I want you to listen for just a moment. Most of you could probably quote Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Most of you probably could even quote John three. 16 and maybe even verse 36 that talks about we need to believe in Christ and if we don't we're underneath the condemnation of the Lord now I said that and I know this might smack up against some of you that are just beginning your journey to discover who is God who is Christ and what is Christianity and I want you to know that I really love you and I know that sometimes when a Christian speaks so strongly about salvation being by faith alone in Christ and that Christ is the only way to get to heaven, and that the consequence of not coming to Christ is to be separated from God in a real place called hell, condemned forever, that that sounds so narrow-minded, so bigoted, and sometimes so self-righteous because we're on this side, we trusted Christ. We don't mean to say that. In fact, if anything, we're saying we are such sinners that we saw our need of Christ that would so quickly and easily forgive us When we come to him by faith alone. But yet, that doesn't nullify the fact no matter what you think about it. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus died and he rose again. Jesus says you must believe and faith alone in him to have eternal life. And if you don't, there's no other way other than Jesus Christ. Now that's the truth that we need to bring to a lost and dying world out there that desperately needs it. Now, I would like you to, to hear me speak to you, not as a speaker now, but as your pastor, as your shepherd. I know that some of you are going through some horrific things in your own personal walk with God. Some of you are struggling with your finances. Some of you are wondering about furlough Friday. What is it going to look like next week at work? Some of you are struggling with your kids that maybe even don't even want to come to church anymore. Some of you are having a marriage that just is so unhappy with you, and yet you're hearing me speak about, we need to reach a lost and dying world. What I'd like to tell you is what Satan would say to you now. Satan would say, keep focusing on your problems, see that this church doesn't care about you, find some other place that will just take care about you. And that would be a very dangerous thing to do. Now, why would it be dangerous? Now, listen carefully. When Jesus spoke to the issue of world evangelism, He spoke to people that they too had problems with their family, with their fitness, with their friends, with their careers, with just life like you are. And yes, there are verses that do talk about get things in order and here's how you do it, practical Christian living, it's there. But he never said this, get everything in order and then go out and tell people. In fact, Jesus said, after he died, rose again, but before he ascended, he looked at his disciples who now were now wobbling with unbelief about this whole thing. It was like, too much information for me. What's going on? Jesus said this. He said this. Now he's here. What's going on? He then looked at them in their unbelief and doubting, And he said to doubting disciples, doubting what we might call church people, go you with your doubts and your family issues and your careers and your finances and all that you have problems with yeah work on them but he still said to them go and preach the message of the gospel to those who don't know Christ now here's what I'm thinking no we don't ignore it we don't put our head in the sand like an ostrich we got these problems but we don't allow these problems to hinder us from seeing that this world has got a greater problem it's not AIDS not cancer. The greatest problem they have is sin. Because when they die in that sin state according to what we've already studied, they will spend eternity in hell separated from God. Let me say one other thing and I'll move back to this. Is it possible that the Lord in his infinite wisdom when he looked upon disciples that struggle with everyday life issues including some theology issues Intimacy challenges with God. Could it be in his wisdom, he was sending them out to go to a lost world so that maybe they would get their eyes off their problems and realize that no matter how bad their problems were, they still had heaven to go to. But all their friends and neighborhoods did not have Christ. And by going into them and getting their eyes on the needs and reaching of other people, it elevated them and gave them a sense of well-being and purpose way beyond them solving all their everyday problems and their families. And I'll take it a step further. Could it be that sometimes in trying to spend so much of our energy fixing our own problems and dealing with our own problems, we actually complicate our own problems? Instead of just maybe letting God take care of some of that. And let's remember a world that doesn't know Christ. It's something worth seriously considering. Well, let me go back to this passage here in John 17. And I want to show you the four main areas we're going to go to in the weeks ahead. So in letting the whole world know about him, he gives us the following four. First of all, he gives us his example. It says, as you, Father, Heavenly Father, God the Father, sent me into the world. So now I look at that and I say, all right, God sent Christ into the world. He is our model. He is our example. So how did God do that and what did Christ do? Because as the Father sent Christ into the world, the second point is, we're commissioned to go do this. So now I'm going to look to Christ just like God commissioned Christ to do something. Now Christ commissions me to do what God the Father commissioned him to do. So I have the commissioning that I'm to do and I have the example of Christ to follow. Hmm. So today we're going to study in a few moments here just four simple characteristics that Christ had that he did in reaching others for Christ that we could own for ourselves through Christ and in Christ. And then number three here, the personal prayer. He prayed for us. He says, I pray for them. I don't pray for the world, the lost people so much, but for those who have you given to me, for they are yours. So he's praying for brothers and sisters. Our third message, I'm going to talk about what part does prayer play In evangelism. Now I know that some of you might pray for a lost person, pray for a family member, but seriously, what does the Bible clearly say that we're to do to pray in the spirit of evangelism and get results? Sometimes way beyond our ever ability to try to reach someone, to bring them to Christ, we can't do it. But there's something mystical, magical, and special about prayer, if I can use those terms. Which now brings us to the fourth, and that would be the promise. And I wanted to end on this promise one on our fourth week because some of you are going to embrace this message. You're going to say, I come to church to learn. I want my life to change. I want, I want to be different. And so I'm going to listen to what the pastor has to say from the word. I'm going to look at God's word and by his power, I'm going to do this. So you're going to do this. You're going to hear about following the example of Christ. You'll do that. Some of you are going to be commissioned and not only are you going to follow his example, you're going to start doing things a little bit differently. And then some of you are really going to embrace some of those things that are important about praying for others. And yet at the end of all of that, you're going to say, I did everything that the word of God told me to do, but I'm still not seeing results. Will I ever see results with my mother who doesn't know Christ as Savior? With my daughter who has married someone and together they don't know Christ as Savior? Will I ever see a difference with my neighbors in the culture that they're in that's so anti-Christ? I'm going to show you because this passage does say that we will see a difference. So we're going to talk about will we see results? And the answer now, and I'll show you how then, is going to be yes. We're going to learn that. Well, today, in the little bit of time I have left, I want to speak quickly on the four characteristics that were in the life of Christ when it says that the Father sent me into the world. How was Christ sent into the world? What were four characteristics that he had that we can own for ourselves to do the same thing? And following his example isn't too difficult. Some of you have been around Christianity long enough that you've read the verses it says that he is our example in suffering. Just like he suffered, we can suffer. He's our example in service. Just like Jesus served others, we should serve them. Some of you know the passages. Just like Jesus was holy, I should be holy. Now, just because Jesus walked on water doesn't mean we can walk on water. Just because Jesus raised the dead doesn't mean we can do that. Those are outside stuff. The inside stuff is an attitude of serving others. And so we could follow his example. But today, we just want to look at, if I'm to follow his example in evangelism, reaching those who don't know Christ what would be four characteristics that we could own for ourselves? Let's look at number one. Jesus was compassionate. Look, if you will, at this verse, Matthew nine thirty six, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Now before we look at the first part of the verse, follow along the last part. It says, Because they were weary, scattered like sheep having no shepherd. When I think of sheep, sheep are dumb, they stink. But they also will wander all around. That's why they need to have a lead sheep or a lead shepherd. Someone there to guide them. How many of you in your mind's eye right now can look at your neighbors and as they're going through life, they're wandering and wondering about what this is all about. They're like sheep. They're scattered. How many people that you know are chasing one religion after another and each one of them, they're very weary, but at the end of everything, they say it still doesn't satisfy this God-shaped void. Well, what do you do with that? What did Jesus do with that? Here's what he did. It says, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. It would be good for us to know, what does the word compassion mean? So we say, if I look at the multitude, I'll be moved with compassion. It's actually two words brought together. One word is the word com, C-O-M, com, passion. Com means with, passion is suffering. How many of you saw the movie, The Passion of Christ? Would you raise your hand? You know, the word passion isn't like, I'm so passionate about something. Passion was a word for suffering. So we could have said, the sufferings of Christ. All right? So now here's what happened. Jesus comes out. When he looks on the multitude, looking at the multitude as sheep having no shepherd, he then was moved with compassion. He suffered with them. So maybe this is a practical thing you might do. Tomorrow when you are in rush hour traffic, dropping your kids off at school or going to work, I want you to think of the thousands of cars that are on the highway. Think about how many people are one in a car by themselves and three in the speed lane going by you. I want you to think about them that they are on this desperate quest to survive on Oahu financially and just life here. Think about them. All of them will have a pretty good life maybe on Oahu only to die And because of their belief system that is not biblical, we'll spend eternity separated from God. There are not many different religions, many different places after you die, you go. And whichever one you pick is okay because that's where you're going to go. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved than Jesus. There's no hope other than through Christ. So now while you're driving, I want you to look at that mass humanity. And for just that moment, I want you to feel their pain of lostness. Financial problems. A note back from the doctor saying they've got cancer. The loss of a job. A child that's rebellious. Problems in their home. When you students go off to school tomorrow and they're banging all the different lockers closed and they're going to classes and they're spilling out and they're laughing and they've got all the little technology, whatever they might have, I want you to think, no matter what those kids have, I don't care what kind of clothes they have, what they have on their iPods, You look at them because when they die, they don't take their iPods with them. They die and go to hell if they don't know Christ. For just a moment, I want you to feel like you are a girl being abused by your father. I want you to think what it's like to live in a home where mom and dad are screaming at one another and you don't know what could happen violently next. They are lost without Christ. And that's where the compassion comes in. Look at the next verse in Matthew 14. It's interesting how all these Matthew 9, Matthew 14, Matthew 15 all deal with compassion for the lost. It says, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. If this is your Bible, I'd like you to mark it. Would you now look at the verse again? I want to show you something. It says, And when Jesus went out. Underline the word when. It won't be until we get our eyes off our own holy huddle. Will we ever be able to see the masses to even start having compassion on them? Now, that's where we ought to talk about engaging our culture. We have to get out of our holy huddles for that moment. And when we do that, we'll be moved with compassion. Look, it says, and when Jesus went out, would you underline that? Now, I'm excited that we have in house events in which to draw people for them to come to hear the gospel. We should do that, and I'm glad. But at the same time, if we're merely an event-driven church, we will miss a greater part here. It wasn't Jesus inviting them into the temple to hear him give the gospel. It wasn't Jesus Christ inventing, inviting them to a location to hear the gospel. It was when Jesus went out into the community that he was then moved with compassion when he saw the great multitude. And you might want to underline the word great. The action was to get out. The attitude was compassion for them. And so tomorrow, I want you to get out of this church. I want you to get off the premises and get out into the culture and look at those people who are desperate for Christ. One more verse in chapter 15, it says, Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude. I thought that was interesting. First, he demonstrated it, and then he taught them that he had that compassion. I can only imagine the ones that were hearing him, like even Matthew, to know that Jesus had compassion on him, although he had a job that nobody wanted. Would you yell out from the crowd, what job did Matthew have as his career? What was it? Tax Tax collector!
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.